Welcome to Breaking the Bias. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders from across our industry, shining a light and sharing stories of workplace empowerment. Welcome to this episode of Breaking the Bias. Today, we're joined by Caitlin Sullivan, VP of Marketing and Sales Enablement at State Street. Caitlin, welcome. Thanks, happy to be here. Well, great to have you with us. You've worked at State Street for over 10 years now. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your, your career so far? Because I know you started in a completely different industry. Sure. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, right? That's what they say. Um, I started my career at State Street back about 12 years ago um, upon graduating the business school at UMass Amherst. I started at State Street as a portfolio accountant and realized, even though I love numbers, the personality traits that I had weren't um, really aligned with the portfolio accountants here at State Street. So I went back to school, I did my MBA, and I returned back to State Street knowing that's the company um, I thought was best fit for me and became an executive admin to um, our senior leadership here at State Street. And then I've moved around the business in a number of different roles. I was a project manager, I was an interim seat. AO, and then my current role here in marketing, looking after a number of different accounts in marketing and sales enablement. Fabulous. So, Caitlin, you've obviously had a, a diverse career at State Street. What, what's that experience been like? Have, have all the teams felt the same in terms of diversity? What, what shape and size has that taken for you? Yeah, so being on the business side and in more of a corporate function like marketing um, have been extremely different experiences. I've really embraced all of my experiences here, even starting as an admin, I really got the grounds of how the company works, ways to communicate and get being prepared for meetings, you know, ensuring that executives and employees know, you know, how to be prepared for meetings, set the agenda, the objective, and circulating around materials before meetings. I thought that was extremely valuable to um, my success here at State Street being very prepared for meetings, conferences, and, and using every time everyone's time, you know, really, really making everything valuable for them. I think with the diversity and inclusion and, and how that's played a role here at State Treat is I think that women have, we've seen them more engaged here, especially with our fearless girl, um, striving for more, taking an active role. And within my my marketing experience, I think you know we've we've really pushed this and really think that it's worth celebrating. But there still are many challenges, you know, that we're facing, and you know we aren't where we need to be, but we um, can we can't get there on our own, right? So you know, with State Street and the people that I've networked, I've joined some PWN groups that we've had males join our groups as well. And I think, you know, coming from all the different parts of the business, we've really come together to support one another. And on the marketing side, I've been, you know, more surrounded by women than men, which was, you know, a whole different experience when working on the business side as CAO and project manager. Yeah, I can imagine lots of diverse, you know, we've had different guests turn up on this podcast from different industries and different departments, and they've seen big skews depending on where, where they sit. Was there a moment in, in your career so far, Caitlin, um, as you reflect back on the last decade, that's really shaped your thinking in being a, a champion and ambassador for, for diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I think, you know, inclusion is so easy to say, but I think 
it's harder to act upon, right? You don't necessarily have to be the person making the decisions or the head of your department. Each day we choose um, whether we want to be inclusive or exclusive. And I was reading this book and they were talking about like as a child, right? You're in grammar school and they tell you, you know, to include everyone at the playground. Like you cannot have someone not play kickball or, or, you know, play tag on the, on the playground. And we lose that as an adult, right? We lose that sense of inclusiveness. And I think, you know, if we try to include people and asking people outside of the normal co-working group to lunch, like that is, you're building a bigger and better network. And even like, when you're going out shopping with your girlfriends, right? You like all the different feedback that you get, like, oh, that dress, you know, maybe it's a little bit too long or too short, or, you know, it doesn't really do it for you, right? And so I think all those pieces of feedback, you know, are important and you won't have that that feedback in, you know, being the best, you know, provider or, or employee without the inclusiveness of other people and other opinions. And so I think... I think the inclusiveness is really an important piece that we say that we do, but what are the actions, right? Yeah, it's a a great reminder of just some of those smaller actions, as you've described, you know, offering to take some people out for lunch that perhaps you wouldn't normally network with or don't sit in your function. um, And a good reminder for us all to to keep some of that childhood uh, inclusiveness in in the way that we're going about work. You you touched earlier, Caitlin, on, um, you know, many of the challenges that are still in place as you think about D&I. Do you want to just share a few of those as you kind of see them top of mind um, across your network? Yeah, so I think the challenges of being a woman, it's to our advantage of having that empathy and emotion. I think, you know, in sales and sales enablement, you know, a key component of that is is the relationship, right? And so I think, you know, why women strive in these positions is that they have that empathy, they can connect with their clients and employees. And sometimes, you know, you get all emotional and you don't know, you know, if you can show it or if you have to go back into your office and cry or go downstairs at the at the cafe. And my boss, you know, once told me that you want to act like a duck, right? So if you're, you know, if you're starting to get frustrated or or you feel down and you've gotten bad feedback in a meeting or someone's called you out, you know, you want to act like a duck, right? You want to be composed. You want to, you know, show that you have that composure, you're mature, you're professional, but down in the bottom, your feet are going, right? And so you're, you know, you're scrambling and, and there is time to, you know, reflect on, on feedback. And I think, in my in earlier in my career, I didn't know how to manage those emotions, and I mm-hmm. sat in, as a, as a young um, employee at State Street. I sat up in a very high chair next to a, an MC member, and you know got a lot of demands. You know it was high stress. You know it was fire drills a lot. He played a significant role here at State Street, and you know sometimes I'd get down on myself and I'd be like, why did you know why did this person talk to me like this? And and I would get flustered, and you know that would snowball, and I didn't keep my composure as best as I should, right? And I really showed that I was frustrated or, or sad or upset, and you know as I've matured over over the years and having mentors and having people that could coach me through those different emotions that we all have at some point, whether it's in the office, whether it's at home, whether it's at, you know, personal relationships. And I think that lesson of, you know, keeping your composure, you know, whatever's going on, you know, is going on. And then you take it 
you know, elsewhere, right? You talk to someone about it and, you know, work it out. And, you know, if things are bothering you, you address them, you know, professionally. Yeah, got it. And you touched on mentors and coaches just there. Is that a, a big part of what's helped you be successful? Yeah. How did you go about finding these mentors and coaches? Absolutely. I think another part of, you know, my career was discovering the unconscious biases that we all have and and to learn to overcome them. And I think I've been fortunate to have great mentors, both male, female, throughout my entire career. And through these mentorships and, and relationships, it's opened my eyes to things that I would have never seen and, and, rec- and recognized in myself, right? And I try to do that for others now um, who seek my advice. And you know, sometimes we don't notice these things and they're not, they're not bad, right? They're just, you know, you just don't notice that you're doing that. And those 360 reviews and peer reviews are really, really important. And I think I would encourage everyone to get mentored at all levels, not just senior leaders above you or not, you know, like your level. I think, you know, get mentors above you, across from you, below you, so you can learn from all different, all different angles, right? just thinking about 360 reviews we've touched on inclusive feedback what role has feedback played in in your own career development how has it helped you be a a more rounded individual how has it helped you to be successful instrumental having those asking for feedback we have a system here at state street where you know we can ask for feedback through my workday and that outreach to colleagues peers is telling, right? I want you to tell me some some good things, things I do well, and some things that I need to still develop, right? And and I think if someone comes to me, it shows me that they care. They care about, you know, what they're doing. They want to improve. They want to be better. And they're looking at me to comment and give them feedback and, and advice. So I think that is very rewarding in itself. And so when I've gone out to the people asking for feedback, It's my job, you know, I'm asking them for their time and and their thoughtfulness and their, you know, uh, their feedback to give me that I'm going to act on this and I'm going to hold myself accountable to, you know, take their feedback and learn and improve my, the way that I do things. And when I first got back feedback, um, I was actually shocked about what was said and it was direct and it was valid. And I had to learn how to accept harsh feedback sometimes, right? Like we all think that, you know, we do things right. You know, we send out these emails. I'm nice to my colleagues. And so that was a big learning experience for me not to have any emotions towards this person. But as I got older and, and, you know, moved on throughout my career, I learned that that was really helpful feedback and honest. And, you know, it's only to help me, you know, become, you know, a better leader today. And I continue to to try and read. I continue to network and establish new relationships and new mentors. So a mentor that worked for me three years ago when I was in a different role, you know, doesn't work for me today. And, And that mentorship was fantastic. But now, you know, I'm in a different in a different position and need help in a different way. So, you know, those continue to evolve and the relationships and the mentors, you know, continue to shift. 
Fantastic. I think feedback is a gift, but doesn't always feel like it's a gift that you're being given. Um, Caitlin, you're very aware, and um, as you're talking and describing your your career so far, you're, you're talking very candidly, which I appreciate. Have Have you seen how other people have re- reacted to to feedback? Do you think? that certain groups always react in a particular way. Um, you've, you've touched on subconscious bias or unconscious bias there a little bit, but I, I've, I've certainly seen teams take feedback in, in different settings. I'd love to hear your experience. Yeah, and it's, like I said, you have to want it to for it to be beneficial, right? So I think force, and I think sometimes we see like, force 360s, force peer-to-peer. I think the emails that just get blasted, like, oh, we're reviewing your manager, fill this form out. That doesn't necessarily hit the spot all the time. I think, like I said, it has to be, you know, willing on both parties. Are you willing to, you know, send feedback, provide feedback, and are you willing to accept it? And are you ready to accept it? And I think I think that's when those two are are met together, I think that's where the collaboration is and that's where you can really work with someone to become, have some better skill sets or or do things a little bit, you know, more efficiently or better um, how you come off. I think also setting, I think setting is really important, right? I think, where are you doing this? I think, you know, is it something that's a little bit more casual outside of the office? Hey, we're going to discuss the feedback, you know, over lunch, you know, and have it more of a casual discussion, or is it going to sit down and you know, or are you going to read it on your own? And and I think reading it on your own, there's a tone in our emails, there's a tone in our texts, right? And so I think I think it it should be verbal, um, depending on the circumstance. I think what I found with giving feedback to the employees that um, have worked for me or that I provide feedback, I always ask to schedule meetings so we can just talk through you know certain points or key themes that we've you know that we've really highlighted. And I think that sense of person to person, not typewriter, typewriter, keypad to keypad. I think you can read it a little bit differently. And that's where I think going back to when I spoke about my first feedback, getting that feedback, I was reading it and it sounded very harsh to me. And and when we actually talked through it, it was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So I think the delivery, like you said, I think that plays a key component in how you can receive feedback and how you make it more personal. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all can do something better. And I think face-to-face, at least voice-to-voice, um, whether it's over the phone or, or, you know, on video or in person, I think that's the most um, effective way for me and what I've found with my team and the people who I've um, supported throughout their careers. Yeah, fantastic. So keep it human and think think through the setting as well that you're uh, capturing and, and thinking exactly. about this feedback. And it doesn't need to be high above. It doesn't need to be, it, it needs to be at all angles, right? Because I could be performing well in, in getting my message across to my boss or my boss's yeah. boss or my peers. But maybe my team isn't connecting with me and they think I'm too demanding or, you know, and I think getting, you know, all different ways and and people, male, female, you know, all country, I'm in a global role. So getting people from other regions, I think is extremely important. So, you know, and do I pick them? 
or, you know, who picks the people for feedback. And I think that's, you know, that's something you want to make sure, you know, that you're considering. And what what about mentors? You know, what, what are the skills that you found to have in mentors that have been really successful as you reflect back on, on a few of the mentors you've partnered with? Yeah, so I've had mentors within within my trajectory. So like, if I wanted to become, you know, the next CEO, I would, you know, I would find someone within that trajectory. I also found that my mentors were outside of, you know, my bubble. So I wasn't going to anyone within like my division. Um, the most helpful mentor that I did have that I, I really is one are one of my weaknesses is HR. So I found a great mentor in HR that helped me with, you know, some issues I was having with certain employees that would kind of walk me back from the cliff, you know, and be like, Caitlin, it's not so bad, you know, let this is how, you know, a scenario that we can try, or this is a different scenario. So I think the mentors that I found that I were seeking to say, hey, would you mentor me, you know, were outside of my bubble, that were areas that I knew I needed to focus on to become a better yeah. leader. Um, mm-hmm. And those were more the employee HR and, and those the internal comms, the people who really focused on employee, you know, morale and feeling. And and I think that to make sure you're looking outside of, oh, just because I want to become the next CEO, like it's not all, you know, heavily on that, right? What can, what comprises of a CEO and looking at those characteristics? Yeah. So really bringing in that specialist skill set and business partnering um, with, with some of those key functions. And Caitlin, have you found some mentors to to work better than others that have been inside State Street or outside State Street? You know, where where have you gone to seek seek out some of those specialist skills to support you? Yeah, so really good point. So when I'm at conferences and, and networking, um, I always try and and see what people what their specialties are. I also have followed, and I wouldn't consider a mentor, but. Carla Harris, who I absolutely admire, and I think she's absolutely fantastic. And so I read through all of her books, take notes. You know, I make sure that if I can connect with her on a certain point, I kind of see what she has done in her past. Um, and then you know, now with like LinkedIn and all the social media, it's it's really great to connect with people, like you said, outside in the marketing world, outside other industries, right? Because it all ties back to you know same same goal right and so i think you know especially with marketing because i had a background in management and so i didn't take any special marketing courses within my graduate degree or my undergraduate degree and i think understanding the attitudes and mindsets for effective marketing were really important so having that expertise in marketing outside of the company trying to really make me a a you know, a, a marketeer and, and really being like, this is what you need to know, I think has really been beneficial. So my, my networking outside of State Street at events and conferences and um, has really helped me reach outside mentors outside these walls. Fabulous. And what about the P, PWN groups you mentioned um, where you've got a, a combination of women and, and men in attendance? How have you gone about setting those up? That's right. And actually, we were just at a PWN event in Burlington at our CRD office. I joined the CRD, which is our Charles River Development PWN. Um, Even though it's a separate PWN than State Street, I thought, to me, it's a whole new network of folks, right? And Spiros is there. 
with, you know, his team and he's supporting. There's a couple other gentlemen that are a part of WNCRD. And what, what we had talked about is like, why is there only 30 people in this room? Why isn't it? 100. Why isn't it 200? How can we bring more people to these PWN events? It's, you know, anyone can join. And so what was discussed at the meeting was bring someone. So the next theme of our meeting is you bring someone to the event that's not part Mm -hmm. of the PWN network to expose them to it. And so what PWN has done for me here at State Street, I joined about five years in and it was predominantly women supporting other women. And, you know, what we see is sometimes that we have... And this is, you know, I'm not sure if it's woman to woman or man to man, because I see Mm -hmm. men to men being pretty competitive, but sometimes women can be competitive towards one another, right? Because we only think that there's a certain amount of seats at the table for us. And so with PWN, what what really brings the, the... the community around this is the collaboration and the real support for one another. I, you know, that being exposed to that pretty early on in my career, I saw that, you know, we're at the table, you know, um, but, you know, how are we really going to make the move that we want to make in this, in this group that's supported by, you know, Lou Maori and, you know, our top executive mm-hmm. males um, has been fantastic experience in, in showing that they do care about, you know, inequalities and, you know, in, in making sure that everyone feels equal here. Yeah, and valued. I think something about um, State Street, and you mentioned Fearless Girl at the the start of the episode. Yeah, you know, I think that's been quite an iconic campaign. And when whenever I think of our, our work with State Street or State Street as a business, that Fearless Girl statue is not not far from uh, my vision or, or, or um, thoughts. What kind of impact does a campaign like that have on uh, women inside State Street? How have you felt about the business? given that campaign came out partway through through your career. Yeah, it's a tremendous impact. It's like the elephant inside the room, right? Like everyone's afraid to say, you know, where are the women executives? And, you know, with State Street Global Advisors launching the Fearless Girl, you know, it was a sense of relief. Like, okay, it's acknowledged by our CEO. It's mm-hmm. acknowledged by our board members. It's acknowledged across the board. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, now we can help change that. And, and yeah. inspire other companies across the world and put mm-hmm. the fearless girl in front of Wall Street, right? Yeah. And so I think that was where people could breathe and be like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's acknowledged. It's seen, you know, and we're going to make progress, you know, to fight this and, and to put more women on boards. And I think there was a sense of being proud, like working for a company that was really first to really make a huge statement about it. So I know that was that was a really proud moment for me working. And I, you know, I, I put it on my social media handles and I was really, really proud of the company, you know, for coming out with such a, a, a tremendous, impactful campaign. Yeah, I, I love how you described that, Caitlin, of saying you've been able to breathe and just this sort of release, because I think so much of what we're doing around awareness and trying to you know, bring, bring some of these conversations to the table is about being recognised and, you know, being counted. 
um, but also giving giving that room to breathe. And and reflecting on your career to this point, Caitlin, where where would you say that you you've seen your biggest inspiration? Is it through campaigns like Fearless Girl? Has it been through some of the figures that you've mentioned um, that that have inspired you? What what drives and motivates you to go on and 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 do bigger and better things despite or in spite of some of the feedback or, or what you're seeing and, sh- and shaping around you? Yeah. So as a child, um, I loved Playmobil and it was like, kind of like Legos, but more dollhouse. Everyone loves and Playmobil. Love- yeah. So many different se- scenes you can make. Oh, so many. And I, <laughs> oh, I, I, if I could go back, that was like the highlight of my childhood was like getting good grades or, you know, doing well, getting, having a birthday and getting more Playmobil and, and, what I did as a child is I would make it and I would never play with it very seldom. Like when I first made it that night, I might play with it. And then I just wanted like the next Playmobil set. Mm -hmm. My parents like, you're not playing with it, but I love to build it. And so at State Street, after a couple different roles in marketing, I, I landed in marketing and I really liked the team. I thought, you know, it was great collaboration. You work with all these different marketing channels to support the business. You see, you know, terrific leads that you're, you know, with the sales enablement component, you're putting these people in front of our clients that, you know, have exactly what they need. They're making great pitches and we're getting the deals, right? And so what I found that I really thrive off of now is, is jumping through different accounts in marketing. So when I came over to marketing, I was with the asset owner group, which was, you know, an account that wasn't well looked after, you know, we're heavy on asset managers. So asset owners never had, you know, a real account manager. And so I was like, you know, they were super excited to have me. And so, you know, I helped them develop their value proposition with your help. And we went on and, you know, they had the sales tools, the sales toolkit that I provided to them, and they were able to go out in the field and feel a little bit stronger. And then I jumped over to Alpha. And what was interesting about Alpha was it was this new product front to back. And no one, you know, none of our competitors had it. And it was building this platform, working with the sales team and this SMEs on developing the messaging for that and launching State Street Alpha. And then after Alpha, you know, went over to State Street Digital and headed up this new area of our business, State Street Digital. So what I realized that I love about State Street is how we're improving the ways you know, the things that we're doing for our clients. We're switching over to, you know, technology focus, what our clients need, also helping our clients thrive in this digital economy, right? And so what I realized is I I like to I like the startup feel. And so people say, you know, State Street is such it's the largest custodian bank, you know, like why are you there? You know, um, wouldn't you like to go up in the startup field? And I have that security of State Street, right? Of being, you know, a custody bank, but all these new projects that we're working on and the ability to jump from project to project and and start them up and let them run and then I get to go the next best thing. Um, having the ability and, and the opportunity to be able to do that for me has been in being selected to be on these accounts that are are brand new and need, you know, 
hundred percent attention on and and we you know we miss some things and then you know we pick up and we go right and it's it's a new business so it's all these little like startups that I've been able to do and create you know and and be able to get you know promoted and, and get more people behind me and you know work for our team and so those opportunities here have been amazing and it just goes back to my childhood of like never wanting to play but wanting to build and so that's been that's kind of been my career in the past six years is just kind of building and and launching all these new areas. And to that point, just continue to learn. Like I'm learning all these new products and platforms and solutions that we're looking to build out. And so it's been really fun and there's never a boring day. You know, State Street has provided me this opportunity and people are like 12 years. And I'm like, I know, but every couple of years, it's completely different. It feels like a different company, but I have that network of people and I have the right people, in, you know, surrounding me. And then I have my outside network, you know, that helps, you know, influences my decisions. Yeah, so, sounds like the dream all coming together. And, and as you're reflecting back on you joining State Street as a portfolio accountant, you know, what, what would your advice be to, to you back then? What, what would you do perhaps differently or sharpen uh, the pencil on? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so after graduating um, from the Eisenberg School at UMass, I was like, oh, I got this accounting role at State Street. And um, I was super pumped to come in here. You know, I, I started MCH, you know, logging in numbers, you know, reconciling. And um, and I think my expectations were just really, really high of, you know, where I was at. And I was a little minnow in the big ocean, right? And at that part, that was 2000 and for 2005 and so and I had to stick it out my parents were like you have to stay there for at least at least a year or no one will hire you after you know yeah. you, if, you, <laughs> if you quit too early it's like you don't even have a degree like you'll have to go back to school I had a pretty negative attitude the entire time I was in there it just you know one six months hit you know the people around me were fantastic but I think the whole mindset of of really embracing the opportunity. I And I look back at that position a lot and say, I met, I was on a fantastic team. You know, it was the first thing, but I think the setting expectations, I, just my personality, I'm never really satisfied, which sometimes is a good thing. And I think that's a way that I, I receive feedback pretty well because I know there's always, I can always be better. I can always do something differently. I can always, you know, just become a, a do things differently to be more efficient or better. But I think um, going back to the portfolio accountant, I, I was just pretty negative. Like I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't know what I'm going to do in my next, my next job. Like this is, I thought this was what I, what I wanted. This is why I went to school and it's not anything. And then you know, going back and doing my MBA really had that reset. And I was like, okay, I want to be in management. I'm not ready to be a manager. I don't have that experience. So that's why I went into the executive admin role to be able to see how the business actually works. Fantastic. So managing expectations um, and, and mindset sound like the two two big takeaways. Fast forward, Caitlin, just to, to finish this episode, you know, what, what kind of progress do you think we'll have made when it comes to diversity and, and inclusion five years from now? I think we have a long way to go, honestly. Um, I think that the want, the need is there, um, but we aren't 
we aren't where we need to be and we we can't get there on there on our own so having that balanced gender diversity you know is extremely important everyone acknowledge it but um you know we have to hold ourselves accountable in that inclusiveness and the diversity and you know remember to surround your, yourself with the same you know if you surround yourself just with the same type of people you only have one perspective but when um you have different people from various different backgrounds or you know different sexualities you get different perspectives which lead to better decisions and i took this ibm course design thinking and they had us um sit around uh, at a table we were into groups i had they weren't state street folks it was you know people from all different um sectors of financial services in all different roles. And um, I love this one exercise that we did because people were nervous and it, intimidated by others, you know, about we got a case study and we had to, ours was how do we create a more streamlined process getting on an airplane? And so like, how can we make the process a little bit better on onboarding and, and deplaning? And so, you know, everyone was in my group was a little bit, you know, nervous to talk and, and share their ideas because you weren't sure who you're sitting across from. And what they had us do is they had us take post-it notes and they, you know, had us write a couple notes on and then you put it in the circle and then someone goes up and puts it on a board into four different quadrants. Some ideas were like, you were like, what is this guy? Like, what is he yeah. thinking? Or what is she thinking? And those ideas were actually, we ended up pondering a little bit more and they were actually brilliant ideas. Like we were able to kind of, you know, shift in around a little bit, but it was, it would be ideas that no one would ever raise their hand and talk about. And so I think having these safe spaces to, for people to talk and to bring their ideas to the table, I think is going to be extremely important for us to be able to really get that diverse population in these companies and in, in the inclusiveness. Invite someone to lunch, join the PWN, you know, put yourself outside of your, your little group that you work with every day. And I think, you know, my relationship with you guys has been fantastic. We meet Robert out, you know, for the coffee and stuff like that. And in, in establishing those relationships, I think are extremely important. So yeah, fabulous. Let's let's all think about uh, in inclusivity differently. Um, I'm, I'm certainly going to use that over the course of this week to take someone else different out for lunch to get a different opinion and point of view. I really enjoyed the, the discussion, Caitlin. Thanks so much for joining us and um, looking forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ITSMA, a leading B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. We're fortunate to have incredibly diverse talent, both in our business and the clients we work with. And together, we're actively striving to tackle the inclusion gap. You can learn more at MomentumITSMA.com.